This week's podcast is sponsored by Direction. Welcome to another installment of the Investing with IBD podcast. It's Justin Nielsen here, your host, and it is June 6th, uh, 2023. We've got more interesting stuff to talk to you about in terms of what's going on with the market. And to help me do that, as he does every week, Arusha Paris is here from O'Neill Global Advisors. He's a portfolio manager there. How are you doing, Arusha? I'm doing well, Justin. Uh, hanging in there. It's a, it's a, it's a been a little bit of a crazy market. Things getting extended. A little bit more participation. Uh, the breadth that we've been asking for. So we'll get into that when we get into the markets. And to help us with that, uh, we're bringing back on the show Will Rind. He's the founder and CEO of Granite Shares. How are you doing, Will? Doing great. Thanks, Justin. Thank you for yeah, having so me back on. Yeah, great to have you. I mean, last time we were, last time we had you on, it was really all about the commodities. Um, you know, you really kind of led us through uh, platinum, palladium, what was going on there, uh, especially with uh, you know stuff going on in Ukraine. Now, since you've been on, I mean, we had this gold uh, run for a while, and a lot of stuff happening with the Fed. Uh, Bitcoin all of a sudden became the flight to safety. I don't know what happened there. Uh, so we're going to have to get your help on uh, dissecting a lot of these things. But let's let's start with the market. And uh, Arusha is going to pull up the NASDAQ composite. Um, we, we really have had this strong 2023 so far. I mean, if we just kind of ended year to date for the NASDAQ, uh, you'd look at the index and say, hey, this 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 was a good year. But under the surface, uh, not everything's been participating. What's been your take on this market? I mean, from my perspective, it's the big story is tech. I mean, this is the kind of reversal, I suppose, of, of really some of the, the worst or the worst affected sector last year. Um, so yeah, I think people just saw that, you know, for certainly the large cap tech names. I mean, this is you're talking about, you know, some of the most you know dominant, you know, companies in the country and their sectors, companies that are hugely profitable um, and companies that frankly people love to love to own. And so it's really a case of people buying back in, I think, to these stocks and you know their their earnings have been very resilient. Um, and particularly, you know, when it comes to some of the new darlings, you know, companies like NVIDIA, you know, hitting high mul high um, market caps. And I, I think it just sort of really goes to show that you, know, you can't keep a good thing down for, for that long. And some of these companies perhaps just too beaten up last year as we, we rush to this uh, new environment that we're in now of, of you know, much higher interest rates or the highest interest rates that we've had for, for decades. Backdrop of inflation, but you know, may, maybe perhaps we sort of rushed a little bit last year and some of these companies got punished a bit more than than they should have been. Um, but leaving that aside, I think investors have seen that this year as, a, as an opportunity. And that's really been the store, story of this year. Mm -hmm. And so now, likewise, with, uh, with the tech stocks getting hit so hard last year, do you think that they may have run up a little too far uh, this year? That's always a possibility. I mean, it's difficult to say. Ultimately, you know, earnings, as we all know, will dictate you know, whether this rally can sustain itself. And like I said, so far, I mean, the earnings have been really resilient. Um, they looked a bit, a bit rocky for some of the companies, you know, coming into kind of Q4, particularly last year. But so far, um, things have been really good. And so it just really will depend, you know, ab absent some shock, of course, you know, Fed raising rates again, catching the market by surprise, inflation surprising again to the upside. 
you know, absent something like that, I think it all comes back to earnings and whether we can continue to see, you know, solid earnings from these companies. Mm -hmm. And I guess that was the the big question, I think, on a lot of investors' minds is, um, with the with the specter of recession, you know, the, the fear has kind of changed from the inflation side to the recession side. And certainly in this last earnings season, it seemed like we saw some big punishments happening, not on the earnings themselves, but on the guidance that was going forward. And look, we've had the yield curve inverted for, uh, I, it feels like forever, um, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, this, this recession talk, you know, coming out. Now, on the other side, of course, you have um, a strong labor market. You know, we saw those numbers come out last Friday and the market kind of cheered. So it just seems like there's a lot of mixed signals uh, here. And, uh, you know, how do you kind of maneuver through all of those mixed signals? I I think it's tough. Um, You know, this is an environment where I, I think people are just so bearish that in many ways the the contra position you know to be bullish perhaps is the right one um and i've never really known a situation where you know people have been so negative on the market but yet we keep kind of grinding higher right and you know i i've I've had this view for for a while I, i didn't think that there was enough in what had happened for it to be a sort of severe um recession Certainly, the time frame that people were calling for, you know, it's difficult to, it's difficult to see how that could happen, given, like you said, the employment situation is still is still very strong. And yes, I know there have been headlines of a lot of tech jobs being lost, and you know, there, there, there's certainly certainly things that give you pause. However, you know, the numbers are still very small relative to you know the the entire economy. Um, and, and it's difficult to see right now with earnings still keeping up, um, you know, where this sort of severe downturn is going to come at the moment and certainly through, I think, the end of this year. So I, I'm quite, I'm not going to say I'm bullish, um, but I think I'm sort of constructively positive on the market at this stage. And like I said, I've been been saying that for, for the last six months and I, and I, I just, I don't see the the real catalyst for for downside at the moment if if anything you could have probably said the debt ceiling was an outlier mm-hmm. um could have gone wrong and i know lots of people speculating about that but again it got resolved um like i said i i just i don't i don't see where this catalyst is going to come from immediately it's not to say that the fed is not going to do something you know in the next six months to sort of raise rates too high and you know that might cause a recession. All of that is possible, but I think for the moment things are things are okay. What what about the just the market rallying on on just such a kind of narrow base, where it's just really a handful of stocks that are carrying up the the market, and you know there there are stats out there that if you remove those stocks, the S and P is up only one percent for the year. Do do you see a potential chance that over the next couple of months that maybe you start seeing more of a broadening in this market and it really starts to become more of a bull market? I, I think you could, Arushan. One of the reasons is because I think this is, you know, in large part, the rally has been quite technical. Um, mm-hmm. In other words, because of the, the lack of breadth, I think it's a lot of you know combination of short covering um, from people that have been so bearish and also performance chasing you know, by the investment community at large who again have been underweight equities particularly underweight tech 
um, you know, it's probably one of the most, you know, vocal um, trades of this year to be still underweight tech. And that's been, it's been a horrible outcome so far. And a lot of people have then had to chase the market up, um, you know, as a response because their portfolios are underperforming. So I think, I think that definitely, um, you know, can continue uh, as long as, you know, this, you know, the earnings hold up in these companies. And, and I think that, you know, people can, can still chase this rally upwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, shifting a little bit to kind of the, the, the shiny metal, you know, gold, um, you know, we, we saw kind of a, a, a nice, a nice rally in gold and, you know, again, you know, kind of going with the, the, the normal correlation with the dollar. And, you know, of course, we've been also looking at the 10 year treasury and, you know, keeping all of these things in mind. Um, but a lot of people looking at gold potentially coming up to this, you know, uh, big long-term high uh, for, you know, for, for, for decades. I mean, if you look at the monthly chart on this, um, it's, you know, it, it, it's kind of up at, up at, a, you know, the highest level that we've seen in a, a really long time. Is this, is this something where it, it went up too much too fast, uh, you know, like a lot of the tech stocks, or is it more of a, hey, this could be an opportunity here for gold to, to take on another, another leg up? I, I don't think it's gone up too fast. I think that what's happened here is that it's coincided with the peak in the dollar. And so the dollar you know, staged this huge rally um, which really sort of started to fade around the middle of last year. And, you know, that largely coincided with, you know, the market thinking that interest rates were starting to peak or at least had a, had a pathway to see how interest rates would peak. And then inflation numbers started to come down. And so the dollar has been on decline really since then. I think um, the gold market has really responded to that. Now, mm-hmm. clearly in the last few weeks, there was some extra air in the balloon, so to speak, because of the debt ceiling situation. I think that if those can remember back to, to 2011, you know, when the, the debt ceiling situation ultimately ended in the downgrade of U.S. sovereign credit for the first time, mm-hmm. um, that sent gold to a high uh, that time. And I think there were some people that felt that clearly that could happen again. And the reason why you buy gold is to hedge against these things. So, you know, some of the, some of the, um, the price appreciations come out of the gold market you know, since then, but it hasn't collapsed in any way. And I think that's just due to the the macro fundamentals for gold is still very strong. In other words, the dollar is still on a longer term decline in my mind. Inflation, I think, is still coming down. And I think rates have peaked. And it doesn't mean to say that we can't get an extra rise, but I think the the market's really, especially the gold market, you know, is looking to, you know, forward rate expectations. And you know, all of the forward rate expectations point to lower rates, you know, within the next six to 12 months. So I think that the gold market's really telling you that um, even though the gold price is at a level which is up or near the high, certainly that we saw, you know, back in 2020, um, that we can hold in here, specifically if we're talking about, you know, a longer term decline in the dollar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny that you bring up the 2011 uh, example with the with the debt crisis because we were also, if I recall, in 2011, kind of facing a lot of global recession fears. Uh, you know, during that time, I mean, there was, uh, if, if I'm not mistaken, is that the time where the the Greece, um, right? You know, issue was going on, and you know, it's like, uh, 
you know, hey, you've got to clean up your balance sheet. Germany was kind of pounding the table on them. And they're like, well, that sounds not fun, you know, type thing. So <laughs> a lot of uh, extra yeah. things going on there. But that recession, I guess, you know, I mean, the world market has been showing, uh, you know, some decent strength, not nearly the, the weakness that, and volatility that we were seeing in 2011. So I guess that's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, I think 2011, 2012 was still recovering from the financial mm -hmm. crisis, which was, you know, right. was an epic shock um, to the global economy. And, you know, that, it, I mean, just some people could argue it's still working its way out today, but that's probably for another day. But I think, you know, certainly as soon as 2011, there were still a lot of, a lot of shocks um, that were reverberating around the world. The world mm -hmm. is still healing, you know, from that. And like you said, European sovereign debt crisis was just one of those um, incidents that, um, you know, happened around the same time. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting too, the kind of, that was three years after, you know, the, 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 the event itself, you know, the 2008 financial crisis. And here we are kind of three years after our COVID. Um, is there anything, is, is there anything about that that's important? Uh, I, I think again, you know, what you've seen, um, and, and part of the reason why there's a bit of a bifurcation of the economy is that, you know, we clearly saw a group of companies um, within COVID that thought that, or, or let's just say that experienced extreme demand. Mm -hmm. And the converse of that was a group of companies that had the exact opposite experience. Mm. And, you know, that clearly created a lot of imbalances in the economy. And today, a lot of those companies which saw extreme demand during COVID, you know, they therefore projected that would last forever and are still trying to rebalance. You know, there's a rebalancing that's happened um, as those companies try and work through whether it may be, you know, excess inventory or subscribers that, you know, disappeared or, or certainly plateaued. And then on the other side, particularly I'm referring to things like airlines, you know, travel, services that just completely disappeared. Um, but yet now there's very strong demand and not only strong demand, but they're very limited in the fact that they can't bring on more supply. You, know, you can't just order, you know, hundreds of new planes to right. fulfill demand from passengers on routes that are popular at the moment. And so, you know, that's where we're seeing a lot of the inflation show up in the economy today. And certainly in the airline industry, how they've been able to keep pricing robust, keep margins there is because there's no alternative. You know, it's, it's just a binary decision. You either want to, to go on vacation or not. Mm -hmm. And if you do, then you have to pay the prices. And those industries are, are benefiting now from the fact that they, they didn't you know, bring on or couldn't bring on more supply. Um, and they're benefiting from that demand you know, surge that, that still is going on you know, in those sectors. Yeah. yeah, what's interesting, though, is that the major airlines, uh, their stocks at least, haven't really gone on those really nice runs, unlike some of the more regional type, type of airlines. Uh, yeah, the Ryanairs, so, the Copas, and so on. Right, exactly. Yeah, no, it, it, it's, it's an interesting situation, but I think still that's the main the main part, you know, when we look at the inflation picture, it's where a lot of the inflation is showing up in the economy, less so now in other parts. Mm -hmm. Well, when we come back, we're going to take a look at some of the stocks that have been uh, kind of top of mind for, for folks. And specifically, 
How you might be able to leverage those positions, uh, Will is going to chat with us about some of the products that Granite Shares has come up with recently uh, that use leverage uh, in ETFs. So stay tuned. We'll be right back for that. Trading Apple, sometimes you get the bear. Sometimes it gets you. Single stock daily leveraged and inverse ETFs from Directions. Before investing, carefully consider a fund's objectives, risk, charges, and expenses contained in the prospectus at Direction.com. Read carefully. Welcome back to the Investing with IBD podcast. It's Justin Nielsen here, your host, along with Arusha Pires, who joins me every week. He's an O'Neill Global Advisors Portfolio Manager. And we've got coming back on the show, Will Rind. He's the founder and CEO of Granite Shares. And one of the things we were talking about, um, you know, with such a strong move in such limited stocks, uh, many people have been, you know, thinking of, okay, well, instead of instead of being all diversified in stocks that aren't working, you know, should I just be putting my money in the in the winners? And maybe even more so, how can I place bigger bets on these? Uh, the use of leverage, you know, some people like to use options. Um, some people like to use margin. Uh, what's what's your take on leverage, Will, and how it can be used um, appropriately and not misused uh, to to do severe damage? No, absolutely. So, we have a, um, a suite or a stable of ETFs that are an interesting new concept, really, for the industry. And that's you know, what we call leveraged single stocks. And as the name might um, describe, they are literally prepackaged leverage within an ETF on a single company. So, for example, 1.5 times leverage on NVIDIA or Coinbase or other popular stocks. And that's really kind of extending the, the leveraged ETF category from leverage ETFs that perhaps people know already, such as leverage on broad equity indices or broad bond indices, or indeed some of the uh, individual commodities to now individual stocks. And there are obviously a couple of benefits to this. You know, one is the ETF wrapper itself, which we all know um, makes it easy for people to trade, you know, whenever they want uh, during the, the day or via a brokerage account. Um, and certainly it makes it more efficient than having to open a margin account with a broker, which has been you know, one of the traditional ways that people have had to, you know, to, to use to get leverage. Mm -hmm. But clearly when you're dealing with leverage of any kind, you know, whether it's an ETF, whether it's options, whether it's futures, you know, you're magnifying your exposure to a particular stock or a particular index. So the reason you do that is because on the way up, obviously if directionally, if you're correct and the stock goes up, um, then you earn more because you have a leveraged exposure to that position. But on the other side, you know, if the stock goes down or if it goes against you, you lose more um, because of the lever leveraged position. So it's definitely one of those things that you know, we all say is for sophisticated investors, for people that understand you know, how to use leverage, but can be very effective for those that are, you know, have a high conviction view on a particular stock or earnings season, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. So, Will, we'll, I think the first question that probably most people listening to this podcast would have is, you know, why don't I just stick with options? It has plenty of leverage um, and, you know, there, there's a lot there's a lot of knowledge out there. Why, why don't I just, just do options in, instead of a, a levered single stock ETF? It's interesting. I, I think, you know, a number of reasons. I mean, clearly there are a lot of people who are very familiar with options and very comfortable with options. I still think, though, that um, by and large, that's still a small part of the kind of investment community. And certainly, 
it's a higher level of of you know education if you want to kind of understand how how options work and indeed you know how to how to access them via um, brokerage accounts but ultimately options are binary and that means you either win or you lose there's no sort of halfway house you don't win some lose some it's just you're, you're either going to make money or lose money and I think that with leveraged ETFs there yes they are leveraged and yes you know they share that but they're typically you know a lot lower or later leverage so we're talking about 1.25 times 1.5 times 1.75 times in that case and in some instances and you can hold them in your portfolio in your brokerage account um, for as long as you want in other words you're in control of when you buy and sell um, and unlike options contracts where you know typically you might you know the, co- the, the contract might expire worthless you know way before you know you have the opportunity to, to exercise and so i think from that perspective for people that i think enjoy options or, or know a lot about options i'm not sure necessarily this this will kind of change you know what they do i think it's more for people who look at or want to have leverage maybe who try and get leverage via brokerage account find that very very clunky or, or inefficient expensive want an easier way of doing that and or who simply use leveraged ETFs already and are very familiar with the concept, but now want to extend that to higher conviction, you know, positions on individual stocks as opposed to entire uh, stock market indices. Mm -hmm. Now, I I noticed that you were kind of talking about situations where you might be holding, uh, you know, these these levered ETF uh, single stock positions for a while. Uh, Usually you hear a lot of... um, you know, the experts and, you know, the advice telling you like with the leveraged ETFs, uh, especially indexes like TQQQ, which is triple levered on the, uh, on the NASDAQ 100. And they say, look, this is the, this is the triple daily performance, but long-term you hold this and you're looking at contango backwardation and all of these things that can get you very different performance than you would expect. Um, so it's kind of like warned against long-term holding. So what, what is it about your, uh, products here that kind of allow for a little bit better long-term hold, holds. Yeah, I mean, I think again, this is where some of the there's a bit of misinformation um, in the way that this is talked about. So there are sort of two really important concepts to to understand. The first is just mathematically how these products work and the way that they provide whatever what we call a leverage factor it just means the amount of leverage so whether it's 1.5 times whether it's three times it doesn't matter all the products will you work the same and that is to mathematically provide the stated investment objective which is you know 1.5 times leverage or three times leverage you have to do that over a given day and so hmm. the only way you can achieve that each and every day day in day out is to rebalance that position at the end of the day. And so by doing the rebalancing, you're mathematically making sure that you are giving the investor the stated level of, of, uh, of leverage or as close as you can get to that stated level of leverage. But what you're doing from a performance perspective is you're changing the linear relationship with the underlying stock that I think a lot of people intuitively think that they're getting. So in other words, if people think they're buying two times, you know, Tesla or, you know, whatever it may be, and they think at the end of the year, whatever Mm -hmm. happens, I should get two times underlying. 
well, that's different because what we are doing, whatever else is, is a daily rebalance. So your performance of the fund or the, or the ETF will deviate because you're, we are reinvesting the profits if the underlying goes up, the way we'd look at it, which we call compounding. And over time, the outcome of that may be different from the underlying itself. And there are just very simple things you can think about, environments that um, will more likely than not improve or you know, discourage your chance of success. So a trending environment, for example, trending market going up is conducive to positive outcomes for this particular process. A trending market going down, conversely, the same thing is going to be very bad for you if you're levered to the upside. And then the one that probably confuses people the most is where you have a choppy market mm-hmm. where the market's going up and down and up and down, and up and down. And with a higher level of leverage, you know, that again can really hurt or impact returns because of this daily rebalancing process. So that's, that's first of all, just like how they work. And that's the reason why the state investment objective is always about one day, because that is what they're designed to do. I think where, where people get confused is that doesn't mean you can only hold them for a day. Mm-hmm. That's a very different concept. And it sounds quite similar, but it's a different thing. So what we always say is you should, you should not hold them unless you're actively monitoring your portfolio. Because when you're using leverage and you're talking about underlyings, which are volatile by definition, you should be actively monitoring your portfolio, actively looking at these positions. So that again goes back to saying, it's not that you can't do that, you shouldn't do that. It's just that we don't want people you know, buying and then you know, leaving the position for a year and then waking up one day, looking at the portfolio and seeing that you know, it's dramatically Surprise. different from what they thought <laughs> and, and then sort of say, oh, hey, how did this happen? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, well, is this a like really kind of these single stock levered ETFs is that a pretty new trend that's going on? I feel like I haven't heard too much about it. So, I mean, how new is this? Or has, has it been just been slowly kind of growing underneath the surface? It, it's really new. Um, okay. We started doing this first products in the summer of last year, kind of late, late summer of last year. And then we released a second batch at the end of last year. So it's very new. Now, we okay. Granite Shares have been doing this business for a few years in Europe, obviously totally different markets. Um, but in the US, yes, it's very new. So it, it's, you know, people will be familiar with leveraged ETFs um, on broad indices in the bond market and in the equity market, also on the commodity side, but we've never had this new category, which is providing leverage on single stocks or, single, or individual companies. So, so it's, a, it's a new concept for people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, real quickly, can we talk about going the other way? Because I know that one of the other things that's out there now uh, are the single stock inverse, uh, you know, and sometimes those are levered where you can basically go short. And certainly there is a benefit there, especially if you're trading in a, a retirement account, for instance, where you're not allowed to go short. And now all of a sudden you, uh, you have a way to do it without kind of running afoul of the rules. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, these are becoming more and more popular, Justin, because it's not just you know, limited to professional investors, that the mm-hmm. vast majority of investors, including professional investors, can't go short. So they are restricted from going short for different fund mandate reasons. But when we have a situation like we had last year, where practically everything you bought was going down, right. um, having a short, 
you know, fund or a way to implement an inverse exposure would have been really useful um, for hedging purposes. And so I think it's something that people are learning more and more about and will becoming becoming more popular, um, but certainly a useful tool again in the active investors toolkit. Mm-hmm. So what 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 are the what are the levered ETFs that you have right now on on the different stocks? So we have a stable of of ones that we launched again. People always ask, you know, why these particular companies? And it's not it's not an exact science. Um, clearly, we have designs on launching a lot more, but mm-hmm. we have Tesla, we have Alibaba, we have Coinbase, um, we have Nvidia, we have Meta, or formerly Facebook. Um, we have Apple. So we have a few of the big, big names. And I think it's partly because they're, you know, companies that people are very familiar with, you know, to explain to anybody what those companies do or who those companies are. They're very well owned, very well traded. But I think also they, they sort of represent slices of the market, which are interesting to us. So NVIDIA for AI has been the big one, you know, this year, you know, Alibaba for a China proxy, you know, Coinbase for crypto, et cetera, et cetera. And so we've tried to to nuance the selection as well by, you know, I think picking stocks which represent, you know, something perhaps more than just a company to certain investors. And yeah. so, again, it's just the just the start of, you know, what will be a larger offering from us in the space. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with, um, you know, the way that some of these work, I mean, certainly when you look at an ETF, um, I guess you kind of rely on arbitrage sometimes if, if there's a larger spread, um, it's not as liquid, you, you don't, you know, are, are there issues that come in here where maybe you're um, getting killed on the spread if, if they're not as liquid or um, is that something that's improving? Um, are, are there, I guess what I'm looking for, are, are there downsides that people need to be aware of uh, before they kind of go into these, you know, things, buyer beware type things? No, absolutely. Um, I mean, first, the, the most obvious buyer beware is what we've talked about, which is mm-hmm. these are leveraged ETFs. They're not regular run-of-the-mill unleveraged ETFs. So because they're leveraged, leverage also, you know, in of itself is more risky than not leveraged. Um, they have a daily rebalancing, a compounding effect that people need to understand. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, they're just ETFs, and mm-hmm. therefore they have the same risks as most other ETFs. And like you said, if there's no trading volume um, in a particular ETF, you're gonna have wide spreads. Mm-hmm. If you have wide spreads, that means your execution cost is gonna be higher than a similar fund that doesn't have high spreads. And so that is just a, um, you know, that, that is the, the, the common feature with all ETFs. Mm-hmm. With, these, with these ones though, what's interesting is because they're inherently trading vehicles, I put them in a different category to regular ETFs. And it's not because they're leveraged. Um, it's because I view them as being trading vehicles and they're part of a trading toolkit. And it's interesting because we're catering to a type of investor that trades more actively. That doesn't mean they're a day trader or things like that. It doesn't it, you know, We don't need to talk in extremes. It just means that somebody who has an active interest in the market, who manages their portfolio, more actively than your average investor. And so with that, I think comes this customer that likes to trade or certainly trades more actively. And because of that, you'll see the volume in these particular products, you know, can be not always the case, but can be very high 
Mm. Um, and that reflects the fact that this is used more as a trading vehicle than say a traditional ETF, which sometimes can take a long, long time to get traction. And you're right, Justin, spreads can be high because there's just no liquidity or very low liquidity in the market. Um, but in these cases, it's not necessarily because the underlying stocks are liquid. It's more that there's just a lot of natural demand, um, both you know supply and demand on the secondary market. And so if people look at the trading volume in these particular names, I think they might be pleasantly surprised versus some of the ETFs they've seen. And so it's not uncommon for us to trade more, um, let's say, value in a day than the entire AUM of the fund. Um, <laughs> so they're very, very well traded. And you know, I think, again, that goes back to it's more of a trading vehicle than, than a buy and hold you know, forever type investment. Yeah. And how are these uh, traders generally finding out about these products? Um, because, I mean, they're so new that, I mean, this is like the first time that I've really heard about them. It's a great question. I wish I knew the answer to that because, you know, it's something <laughs> Tell your marketing we... department, right? Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah no, it, it is, it's, it's that tough kind of yeah. scenario, right, where you have this product, you're trying to get it. Uh, I mean, it, it's more kind of like kind of that it's just going to take time, right? And all of a sudden, yeah. it'll probably just explode. Uh, kind of probably like the cues what, what went through. 20 years ago when they were introduced or whatever, yeah. right? People probably didn't trust it. Now I'm going to stick with my mutual funds, but then now, you know, every, everyone's trading them left and right. Yeah. I mean, what, what I can say is there's no doubt in this market, there's a community of, you know, highly educated, sophisticated investors that know, seem, seem to be able to, to tell exactly when something's come out that they want to trade or that they're interested in. And it can sort of capture, you know, capture the moment in a way that's unlike any other market that we're involved in. And you know, we always ask ourselves the same questions. I mean, of course we issue a press release and who doesn't, but mm. it's not enough to, to grab people's attention. And there's obviously people that you know, know what they're looking for. You can find obviously with all the search engines, you can find that very quickly you know, now. And so I think if you're just, you, know, you, you manage to intersect that, you know, that demand you know, with the right product, when people are looking for, hey, how do I get leveraged on a video? Or how do I play AI, as an example, um, that we've seen? And, and then the intersection is Google or Bloomberg, or whoever it is, will return, you know, our leveraged NVIDIA ETF. And for the right person that's looking for that exact thing, it's a perfect intersection. And then there's intent created and they go buy the product. That's the only mm -hmm. thing I can think of, but that's yeah. just... That's not scientific. That's just a, a gut feeling. Well, hopefully right. Chat GPT is also giving those answers too, because a lot of people are starting <laughs> to go more and more towards that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I think when, when yeah. No, oh no, go ahead, Will. No, no, I think it, it, it's interesting because going back to one of the comments you made originally, Justin, about you know how are people using this and, and why, you know, why might somebody use um, something like a leverage single stock? And the NVIDIA one's been a great a really interesting case for us because there's actually been a number of articles written about this, that a lot of these ideas or themes or concepts, whatever you want to call them in ETF world, that they're very hard to actually express in the form of an ETF. So you might have an ETF that is on, just to take an example, blockchain. We'll talk about AI in a second, but it might be blockchain. And the investor might say, well, that's brilliant. I want to play blockchain. I want to get access to the blockchain. So I'm going to buy this ETF. And then 
when they look at the underlying components, they might be quite surprised to see right. a list of companies, including maybe some of the global banks in there that for all intents and purposes have nothing to do with blockchain. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing that happened with AI that you know, clearly AI, phenomenal you know, potential, something that everybody's talking about, but how do you invest in it? And there are AI ETFs out there. I think when people started to, to invest in some of these products, I mean, a good article is written about how people haven't participated in the pop. Um, and the reason for that in many cases is that there aren't that many companies that are truly mm -hmm. in AI or powering AI at the forefront of AI. And what they've actually got is a broader tech basket you know, which is not the same thing. And that's why people have led to something like NVIDIA and obviously our NVDL, which is leveraged NVIDIA, as a way for people to express a conviction view on something and to say, you know, I, I, I know exactly what I want. Here's, here's the particular product. And I don't want to be diluted right. by a load of companies that you know, ostensibly have nothing to do with what I'm, what I'm looking for. Yeah, more, more of the peer play. Uh, well, yeah. very interesting stuff. Um, when we come back, we're going to get a little bit more into some of these and... Uh, uh, one of the big questions I think we're going to address in the next section is why is the leverage factor different? So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Trading Tesla. Sometimes you get the bear. Sometimes it gets you. Single stock daily leverage and inverse ETFs from Directions. Before investing, carefully consider a fund's objectives, risk, charges, and expenses contained in the prospectus at Direction.com. Read carefully. Welcome back to the Investing with IBD podcast. It's Justin Nielsen here, along with Arusha Pierce, O'Neill Global Advisor Portfolio Manager, who joins me every week. And coming back to the show, we have Will Rind. He's the founder and CEO of Granite Shares, and he's been talking to us about ways in which you can get leverage on single stocks with the use of an ETF package. And you know, as I'm looking at your your offerings here, Will, you know, one of the things that strikes me is um, they're the leverage factors are very different. You've got you've got a inverse, you know, which we, we we didn't talk too much about, but you've got an inverse. You've got uh, a one point two five, a one point five, a one point seven five. You know, why why the difference but uh, between um between them all? The, the the simple reason is actually it's a regulatory um, condition, and okay. it comes out of a derivative rule um, that the SEC bought in a couple of years ago, and really. It's about volatility in the portfolio. So to put it very simply, there's a test and the more volatile the underlying stock is, the lower the amount of leverage um, that you can apply to that stock. And then conversely, if it's a low volatile stock, um, the higher the amount of leverage that you can have. But mm -hmm. important thing to note, you cannot have more than two times leverage. So although you might see higher numbers like a 1.5 or 1.75, you're almost never going to see two times. Um, and that's just due to the volatility test um, regarding the underlying. Mm -hmm. And that's for a single stock, because of course you can get that in, uh, you know, some thematic ETFs or indexes, you know, but, you know, we're talking single stock here. Exactly. On leverage single stocks. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so when you look at it and you see different leverage factors, that's the reason for it. Now, now, volatility changes sometimes, though, in stocks. You know, sometimes it'll go through periods where it's it's more volatile and times where it's less volatile. Does that mean that the factor might have to change on your ETFs? Or is it kind of like, this is what the volatility was when we launched, and so that's what it's going to be? That, that's it. So for the purposes of, of this particular test, it's all about before you launch. 
mm-hmm. once you launch if market conditions change and you know it ends up you know certainly the, the stock becomes less volatile you can't adjust um the lever leverage upwards you can only adjust it downwards mm-hmm. you know if the stock was to become more volatile and you were in danger or you were you know breaking or in danger of breaking the uh the derivative rule around that volatility test then you'd have to adjust it lower but mm-hmm. not up mm-hmm. yeah and so the the timing here for for some of these i mean uh, again we talked about how narrow the market was uh, or has been and uh you know you kind of came out with these at kind of a nice nice time where the i mean meta uh has certainly been one of the the standouts nvidia apple is at new highs so i mean in terms of uh your offerings uh, you're you're kind of in the right the right spaces uh what what made you choose those particular stocks yeah and, and you know again we are not market timing geniuses or anything um this is something that we wanted to do for for some time we have this business in europe um we just felt that you know with what was going on last year uh, it was time for us to to try and launch this business in the states and so through summer and the end of the year we ended up uh, launching the products and of course the the timing has been great for anybody that's held those products this year um but i think when we think about the range it's not just about you know the biggest companies or the most traded companies we also try and um offer a suite that changes or or offers exposure um to different investment themes and the logic behind it so for example nvidia is a big company of course but it's become like a kind of poster child for ai so if you want to play ai there's nvidia you know meta everybody knows you know facebook meta um alibaba or babex that we have and that's a really proxy for china particularly for china tech um which a lot of people looking to get exposure to and then you have coinbase um through our conel which we thought was interesting because there wasn't a leveraged way to play crypto and of course those that follow the ETF market and the crypto markets um probably quite closely will be well aware that um there's been a long standing um kind of back and forward with the SEC and the ETF industry around launching a physically backed um Bitcoin ETF but up until this point is not really a way to play um leveraged crypto and so on and so forth and we try and balance the this is a popular stock or is a stock that that has you know huge market cap huge trading volume with stocks that that perhaps give people access to certain things so may- maybe we should just walk through a few of them uh we 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 can start off with nvidia since it is kind of the poster child as, as you said and it's definitely the the hot stock right now uh you know just just walk us through just uh the nvdl and and uh you know it it's 1 1.5 and then kind of the the demand that you're seeing here so the demand has been has been really quite phenomenal we launched um nvdl toward the end of last year so it came out in december of last year and as as you rightly said rusher it's 1.5 times um the performance of nvidia over a given day and as we all know you know chat gpt came out and really shared gpt4 changed the way that everybody thought about ai yeah. and as everybody will be able to to know by now um, became you know the the application or the service that got to 100 million users faster than any other service ser- service in history and i think you know certainly from my experience you know i go to a lot of investment conferences a lot of investment events um 
do a lot of webinars, content, and I've never seen anything like it in terms of mm -hmm. every single one of these conferences, events has been about AI in a way that, you know, perhaps somewhat cynically, you know, it was crypto a couple of years ago, um, but that has now kind of been replaced by this AI conversation. And NVIDIA clearly is right in the middle of that. And as, as you guys know, you know, the NVIDIA GPU chips power chat GPT. And that I think is what really got people excited or one of the many things that got people excited about NVIDIA and particularly with relation to AI. Okay. You know, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I know just Justin said before that perfect timing uh, <laughs> and it was pretty close to perfect timing here for, for NVIDIA get, getting it out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, let's, let's maybe just kind of talk about Tesla a little bit, too, because, okay, so Tesla, um, you've got TSL, uh, so you've got one and a quarter leverage on, on this one with your TSL product. And if you kind of compare it to the, the chart, you know, you're going to see some differences. So, I mean, we, we often tell people, look, if you're using technical analysis, kind of, you know, use the the index, you know, a follow through day on the index or your, your timing indicator on the index itself, not necessarily on the leveraged. Um, and I'm just looking at like, for instance, Tesla, Tesla got above its 200 day moving average line, um, you know, just recently, like last week. Um, but in this case, it looks like, uh, you know, TSL, the, the leveraged one is getting up there this week. You know, the 200 day is just, has just appeared because it's only been out for, uh, a little over 200 days. Is there any of those technical factors that you find people kind of asking about? Or is that more of the uh, something that you guys don't really pay too much attention to? It, it's, it's not so much that, Justin. It's more, I think, technicals are much more, you know, from an individualist perspective, they, they really appeal to, to investors in a different way. And so there will be certain technical indicators that are very important to some people. Um, and that will be something they look at. And at the end of the day, the ETF, regardless of whether it's an e ETF or not, is just a stock. And so from a charting perspective, you know, whatever technical pattern or you know, piece of information people, people look at will apply there as well. So it's, it's not something that we necessarily focus on, but a lot of customers clearly do. Mm -hmm. Um, now uh, let's we got to address the downside. We we kind of touched on it a little bit, but um, you know Coinbase was down twelve percent today. And uh, as much as it's awesome when you have an Nvidia that's going up or a Metaverse, uh, I mean Meta that's going up uh, like like it has been, um, there are those risks of when you see a downside move. So um, you've got Conl, uh, and that has a one and a half times leverage. So Talk about what happens on a day where the the stock is down twelve percent or more. Um, what yeah. what goes on, and what what do investors need to be aware of with their levered uh, stocks? Yeah, so when you're one and a half times leverage, you know, on the downside, this is clearly the the bad thing or the negative thing about leverage is that you lose more money than if you were not leveraged. And in this particular case, you know, you have one point five times. Um, that particular loss. So uh, whatever the stock is down, you know, one and a half times that is roughly the amount that you, know, you should expect to to lose um, in terms of performance on that given day. So 
And looks like you did it right, by the way. No, yeah, I was like, well done. 18% down on uh, uh, CONL. So (laughs) it acted as expected. (laughs) But that is, in a nutshell, you know, one of the reasons why people love these products is the volatility of, you know, these products. And so, you know, today, you know, would you believe that, you know, we have, you know, a very, very negative day, clearly coming off the back of, um, the, the news yesterday that Binance was being sued by the SEC. Now is it the news today that Coinbase is now being sued by the SEC. So clearly two very negative days for crypto more broadly, but for, for these two companies. Um, but the amount of volume that we saw traded today, um, unsurprisingly, was huge in Cornell. Um, but a lot of buying, a lot of creations um, today. So people looking at the, at the dip, so to speak, or the fall in the mm-hmm. price, um, and using that as an opportunity to buy. So it, it, it's a sort of, it's, it's always the, the, the two sides of the same coin. It's, you know, do you buy, is, is this a buying opportunity or is it a, an opportunity to get out? You know, it's, um, it's really why I think people, people like products like this that have a bit, more, a bit more volatility about them because it requires conviction one way or the other. Yeah, so I'll, I'll I mean, it gets me thinking here, like, oh, so say you had like a, an inverse ETF of like Silicon Valley Bank, you know, back back a few months ago. What would have happened to that ETF, uh, you know, when that bank collapsed, when that ETF collapses? Does it? I mean, just go straight straight up. I mean, how you know how how, how does that resolve itself? Yeah, it's a it's a great um, great question. So. You know, first and foremost, the ETF is not a magic recipe to get around <laughs> the the underlying you know market conditions, um, and so the ETF literally will replicate the underlying. And so, in that particular case, yes, the price of the ETF would have gone up significantly um, to a point where, of course, the underlying company went bankrupt. And yeah. so, well, we'll never know what exactly would have happened to investors, but the chances are that investors also wouldn't have been able to get the money back from the ETF and the ETF would have had to close for very different different reasons. In other words, mm-hmm. the ETF was so successful, wow. um, kind That's of on paper, but yeah. ultimately if the stock, you know, if the stock goes out of business, um, unless the market maker or the hedge provider was able to sell out before, you know, the close or before it got seized, um, you know, you'd have to assume that investors investors would have you know, met the, the same fate as any stockholder in the company, regardless okay. of you know whether you were long or short. Um, but you know, it's difficult to difficult to speculate without right. there have been a live example of that. Mm-hmm. And and I'm not sure anyone wants to stick their neck out and be the test case for how that works right, out. Exactly. You know, I feel I feel like we had that back in 2018 with some yeah. of the volatility products, uh, where it was like, uh, oh, this is this is how it works in a in a bad way. <laughs> so, yeah, but they're just there. are going to be these cases. I mean, you know, no one wants to have the product mm-hmm. um, clearly that's short or in this case long. You know, leveraged against Silicon Valley Bank. No, no one wants to be in that situation. But yeah, um, of course, people get into those situations because there is a real need or there is a real use case at the time. And you just sometimes you just don't know. You know, who could have predicted Silicon Valley Bank? You know, before it happened, that would be in the situation where the 18th largest bank in the U.S. you know went bust in in a very rapid rapid space of time. So it can be these events that 
that really you know change the direction for companies very quickly. Um, and you know, for investors, you can either make a lot of money from that or lose a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And to that end, I mean, you know, again, no one necessarily saw Silicon Valley Bank coming, but um, you know, a lot of the stocks that you're choosing, you know, are certainly ones that people would think of as, well, this isn't going out of business anytime soon. I mean, Apple, Tesla, NVIDIA, these are, you know, not going away. Um, now, something like BABA, though, uh, you know, BABA itself, I don't think anyone is expecting that to go away, but there were those fears of a delisting in the US. How, how would something like that uh, play out if, if you've got this levered BABA? Yeah, and, great you know, question. Yeah, talk about that a little. So uh, again, all, all the ETF is doing is really passing through the economics of mm. the underlying investment and applying leverage to it. So in the case of Barber, you, you just own exposure to a stock at the end of the day. Mm. It's the same stock that everybody else does as a shareholder of Barber. So again, hypothetical situation, it didn't happen, but we would have followed whatever corporate action rules um, would have taken place. So in the case of a delisting, I would imagine that what would have happened was we would have had to liquidate the fund right and clearly at that stage it was it was delisted that doesn't mean the company went bankrupt that just mm-hmm. means that you know shareholders would have been returned you know whatever their stake in baba was worth at the time and so almost like you know when a fund closes down um and it closes down because it's not economically viable for the manager but yet the underlying investments it has if it's investing in you know liquid liquid stocks, those stocks aren't affected. And you know the fund goes through a liquidation process where it sells those assets uh, in the market and the investors get redeemed at NAV. So I'd, I'd imagine it'd be a situation very similar to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, well, hey, Will, uh, we really appreciate you coming on the show and, and sharing, us, uh, sharing with us all of these different uh, new products that you have. And I assume you've probably got more in the mix coming. Uh, anything you can talk about what, what you've got uh, on, the, on the docket? We do, yeah. So we have um, a, number of, a number of stocks that um, we would like to bring out. Um, so we have, you know, from, a, from the AI perspective, we have stocks like AMD, um, which we can still bring to market. We have some more traditional stocks as well, which we'd also like to try. Um, I know the ones in our stable are really all technology stocks, stocks, um, but we have like Ford, you know, uh, other more traditional companies um, that again would be kind of interesting to bring out. I think um, so. Yeah, we, we're working on those, and and hopefully we can uh, we can bring those to market sometime soon. Yeah, and uh, and and also on the inverse side, right? Uh, potentially. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think the, there's certainly room for for those products. We've seen um, the companies that um, there's a lot of demand for the long. Typically, there's also a lot of demand for for the short as well. And you know, particularly some of the companies are difficult to short uh, for different reasons. And so again, we want to try and provide a service, provide you know a a real tool for investors, you know, to implement what their investment strategy is. Mm-hmm. And of course, people can kind of follow your progress on these things uh, at your website, graniteshares.com. Uh, any, anything else they should be uh, looking, looking at? Yeah, well, graniteshares.com is a great place to, to start. Um, but of course, we're an approachable company. So if people have questions, et cetera, on anything, um, please reach out to us directly. Awesome. Thanks again for being here, Will. Uh, really appreciate your insights on 
this kind of newer uh, product offering. And uh, good luck, good luck with those uh, future future things. It looks like you've yeah, done thank a you good so job much. so far. <laughs> so yeah, thank you for having me. Great to be yeah. back on. Appreciate uh, absolutely. it. Uh, and that'll wrap it up for us this week. I uh, hope you've enjoyed kind of like a, a little educational lesson on, on some new stuff here. Um, next week, we'll be back. Uh, who's our guest? You know what? We'll, we'll kind of leave that as a, a surprise. So hope you tune in for that. We'll see you next time. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.